MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, July 5th, 2021. Today, I'm back from a week-long vacation when everything ever decided to happen. The Trump Organization and Alan Weisselberg have been indicted. The Supreme Court took another chunk out of voting rights. Pelosi created the 1-6 Select Committee. The Military Sexual Assault Commission also recommends what I've been asking for for the past decade. There's a lot going on. We have a lot to talk about. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, friend. I missed you. I missed you as well. Como estas, mi amiga? Bien, bien. And uh, I am a little bit sunburnt, uh, but not <laughs> not bad. I slathered myself in like a million SPF and I still the sun was so strong um, that some some got through. Yeah, uh, but it was amazing. It was wonderful. I had three 80 minute massages while I was gone. Nice. <laughs> I, went, I went to the gym every morning. That was nice. Um, and then most of the rest of the time was by the pool or by the beach. You know, living life and nothing happened while you were gone. So everything's fine. No, totally calm week. Um, actually, I'm going to have to spread the news out <laughs> over this coming week. <laughs> um, you know, because of everything I missed while I was on vacation. But I picked what I thought were the top stories. Uh, and we're going to cover those today. I imagine we'll be talking about these indictments, this indictment against Weisselberg and the Trump org more than once in the week to come. Uh, there are a lot of experts I want to talk to. That includes Andrew Weissman, former Mueller prosecutor, who I will speak, be speaking with today about the nature of these charges, whether or not uh, he thinks this is the end or the beginning, uh, the tip of the Weisselberg, so to speak. <laughs> uh, we will find out. But uh, we do have a lot to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story has to be the indictments, right? We knew they were coming. Um, they came the first week of July. They are there's 15 counts against Alan Weisselberg, 10 counts against the Trump Organization. Mm -hmm. This is much more than what Don Jr. and Trump at his rally last night are. You know, they're already trying to downplay these charges, of saying, oh, I didn't claim a Mercedes. No one gets charged with, you know, not uh, reporting fringe benefits. This is a fringe benefits case. That's. That's their defense. A lot of people thought when Trump said last night, you know, oh, I didn't uh, pay taxes on this. I didn't pay taxes on that, that this was an admission of guilt. And, and you know, it might possibly be used to prove sort of intent, like totality of the evidence. Like remember in the Mueller report where they're like these 800 tweets and these different news stories and these interviews on Fox. Sure. Not any one individual thing is a smoking gun, but they all come together to show a totality of the evidence points toward intent. And that's the big thing you have to prove in these tax cases is intent. And so, you know, I think it was less of a, an admission of guilt and, and more of a revealing what his defense is going to be, which is everybody does this. I didn't know it was wrong. Did you know it was wrong? Did you know we, we couldn't have two different sets of books in a corporation? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know there were two minimum sets of books. two sets of books. Yep. <laughs> right. And so what I think happened here is that uh, McConney, who was the controller of the Trump organization, not comptroller, controller, comptrollers for government, controllers for private industry. Uh, he knew about this second set of books and that's how they got Weisselberg. Right. And this can't be the only set of books. There's two schools of thought on Twitter right now. A lot of people are looking at these charges like Daniel Goldman. Remember him, the impeachment mm -hmm. attorney uh, uh, for the Dems said, this looks like all they have. And I don't think we'll see anything else. And, and a lot of people are saying this is just to try to get Weisselberg to flip. Uh, but there are an, there's another school of thought, which is where, what I'm in. I'm in this school of thought with uh, folks like Andrew Weissman, who I'm going to speak with a little bit later. This is not... A fringe benefit case. This is a tax fraud case. This is a business fraud case. There's grand larceny, fraud, falsifying business documents, a 15 year or 17 year long scheme to defraud the United States. And not just 
New York state taxes, but federal taxes too. The word, the word federal appears 30 times in this 24-page indictment. So I'm going to talk to, uh, to Andrew Weissman about that because my, my personal feelings on this is that this is a, the first of many uh, indictments that we'll see. And uh, it, it, these are very serious charges. And we'll see if the Trump defense holds up. We, you know, Danny, you and I talked about this. Trump is, we said, you no, know, Trump's going to be like, I'm the CEO. I didn't know. Of course. You know, and that's that's what this is. And they're setting it up. And- it's like Weisselberg, I, he got me he got me coffee once. I've never even heard of the Trump organization. What is that? Yeah. And I wonder what they talked about when they met a couple of weeks ago in New York, too. Like Trump was going to say, look, I'm going to throw you under the bus. This is all your fault. I'm going to say I didn't know. And you got to go to jail because that's what consiglieries do. Right. They're right in the mob. He's been there since Fred Trump. He's been there since the 70s. He's been there for like almost 50 years. And his he was born to go to prison if they get caught. Like that's his job, you know. Yeah. So. And I, you know, I would not be surprised if he's taking the fall so that his family's protected. Weisselberg. I mean, it's amazing what parents will do, other than Donald, because he'll throw every child under the bus. But other parents actually probably would protect their children and send themselves to jail um, for a deal. Like who knows what Donald uh, they spoke about behind closed doors in the in the tower. Yeah, but by not cooperating, though, he also risks his children going to prison because they aren't hands off and hands clean in this fraud scheme either. They were party to it. Sure. And recipients of, of the of, of the benefits of it. So not to mention his ex-daughter-in-law is seen like a jail a songbird, yeah. a jailbird. Sorry, that was a Gordian <laughs> slip. Yep. I just saw her on uh, MSNBC saying she's fully willing to to testify against Weisselberg, her father, former father-in-law, but uh, they they aren't at that stage yet. And then she, she kind of, you know, shut down because there's a lot she shouldn't talk about. But she did say she's afraid because perhaps a lot of the documents she handed over helped put Weisselberg in the position that he's in. Of course, of course. Uh, we got bad news. I hate to, the story is upsetting for a lot of us. We have bad news coming from the Supreme Court, and this was a six to three decision. They upheld two restrictive voting provisions in Arizona, ruling that they did not meet the definition of overt discriminatory behavior. So what this does is it opens up the floodgates to state legislatures nationwide to feel emboldened to release basically a torrent of new voting restrictions, more secure in the belief that such provisions will not be struck down by the court, because this one wasn't. So apparently, if the justices do not discern obvious discriminatory intent, and the restrictions are not so blatantly biased against voting access for one particular population of the segment, they're saying that they can pass muster with the court. That's what this appears to say. So our access to free and unimpeded voting took a big hit last Thursday. Uh, The ruling may not be a full frontal assault on voting access, but it surely opens up the more attacks on the flanks, which is what we just said. So this is a quote, neither Arizona's out of precinct rule nor its ballot collection law violates section two of the Voting Rights Act. This is from Alito. He went on to say Arizona's out of precinct rule enforces the requirement that voters who choose to vote in person on election day must do so in their assigned precincts. Having to identify one's own polling place and then travel there to vote does not exceed the usual burdens of voting. Well, Alito said that while the Voting Rights Act provides, quote, vital protection against discriminatory voting rules, and no one suggests that discrimination in voting has been extirpated or that the threat has been eliminated, Section 2 of the law does not deprive the states of their authority to establish non-discriminatory voting rules. Now, in touching on arguments made by Republicans and Trump, Alito said that, quote, one strong and entirely legitimate state interest is the prevention of fraud. So, went on to say, fraud can affect the outcome of a close election and fraudulent votes dilute the right of citizens to cast ballots that carry appropriate weight. This is what he wrote, adding that fraud can, quote, also undermine public confidence in the fairness of elections and the perceived legitimacy of the announced outcome. This is such bullshit because it's all just pushing the the false narrative that somehow um, a lot of votes were cast that were fraudulent. So Steve Laddick, CNN Supreme Court uh, analyst and professor at the University of Texas School of Law, said the high court's decision on Thursday regarding voting rights and invalidating a California rule that requires charitable organizations that solicit donations to disclose a list of their contributors to the state attorney general shows, quote, full flavor of the court's new conservative majority. So this is 
this is a, a problem. We also know, and I'll say this, that unless they continue to gut this, and I'm sure you know this opens the door, I don't know if most people know this, four out of five people in Arizona vote by mail. They always have. It's been one of those states that did. So does this affect a tremendous population? No, the majority still votes by mail. They don't walk into a precinct. The problem is, is this opens the door to mo more voting restriction laws being passed by the Supreme Court and enforced, I should say. Yeah, it weakens the Voting Rights Act. And exactly. it disturbs me because it also imperils any future Voting Rights Act, like the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, if either of those things pass, which I don't, there's some, it's a real uphill battle right now. Sure. But if they pass, I imagine there will be immediate lawsuits to gut the legislation that's passed based on the decision in the Brnovich case, which is the one that you just talked about. And I don't imagine this court favoring a federal voting rights bill over states' rights to run the elections the way they feel. Sure. Like they, you know, like they want to. And this decision could also complicate Merrick Garland's case against Georgia over voting rights by making it harder to prove that states' voter suppression laws are discriminatory. So, you know, we'll see how this it goes. It does set up a scary precedent. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. Uh, but here's here's a swing back to a little bit of good news. The White House released the results of an independent review commission on sexual assault in the military Friday, announcing a series of recommendations aimed at combating military sexual assault and moving prosecution of assaults outside the chain of command in what one senior administration official called a monumental pivot and how the department does business. A 300-page report titled Hard Truths and the Duty to Change, Recommendations from the Independent Review Commission on Sexual Assault in the Military, actually makes more than 80 recommendations, warning of, quote, a wide chasm between what senior leaders believe is happening under their commands and what junior enlisted service members actually experience. The commission met with more than 600 individuals over the course of 90 days, including military and veteran service organizations, victim advocacy groups, and veteran and active duty sexual assault survivors. The report's findings focus on four areas related to accountability, prevention, climate and culture, and survivor care and support. The officials tell CNN the recommendations, including the decision to move prosecution of sexual assault outside the chain of command, was backed by the SECDEF, Lloyd Austin. Quote, today's announcement is the beginning, not the end of our work. This is Biden. He goes on to say this will be among the most significant reforms to our military undertaken in recent history, and I'm committed to delivering results. Last week, Austin announced he planned to recommend prosecution of sexual assaults in the military be taken out of commander's hands. Quote, we will work with Congress to amend the Uniform Code of Military Justice, removing the prosecution of sexual assaults and related crimes, related crimes from the military chain of command. The commission also recommended changes in the UCMJ be enacted by 2023 to ensure that kind of time is taken to appropriately build a structure which involves special victims prosecutors reporting outside the chain of command uh, of the military chain of command. But uh, the proposed reforms backed by the White House, according to CNN, are at odds with the legislation that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Joni Ernst have introduced, the MIJA, which would move most felony prosecutions into the hands of independent prosecutors and not just sexual assault and related crimes. The White House position aligns more closely with Chairman of Joint Chiefs General Mark Milley, who has said he's open to moving sexual assault cases outside the chain of command, but warned against changing the way other crimes are prosecuted in the military. So, you know... I don't see how this sort of runs counter to that, because this commission that was formed was specifically looking at military sexual assault. Right. It wasn't looking at other felonies that that have more than a year uh, that, that could result in more than a year in the brig or in prison. And so it doesn't it's not in conflict with the bill. It, it wasn't designed. The commission wasn't designed to address the other felonies, it was only designed to address sexual assault. I don't know if they're going to amend the bill to try to remove the other felonies, but now we've got 66 senators, the Secretary of Defense, the Commission, and the White House, all for at least moving military sexual assault cases out of the chain of command. So there's at least that, that that seems to have enough momentum. I hope that the moving the other felonies out of the chain of command doesn't somehow muck this up. Sure. Um, we'll continue to keep you posted on where this goes as well. And this is a new story we all knew, uh, we're hoping, I should say, would happen. But it's a bit of a catch-22. So Nancy Pelosi has formed a select committee to investigate the insurrection. Fucking great. Uh, she appointed Benny Thompson to chair the committee, then added Zoe Lofgren, Adam Schiff, Pete Aguilar, Dun, 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 Liz Cheney. Listen, I'm not championing her, but this is important. Uh, Stephanie Murphy, Jamie Raskin, and Elaine Loria. Republican leader McCarthy now gets to nominate five Republicans, but Pelosi has warned that she has veto power over his choices. I like the 
power move here. So this won't surprise anyone. Jordan, who, as we know, is a conservative firebrand that McCarthy has tapped for previous high-profile assignments, because he's a douchebag, including one during the former guy's first impeachment, is seen as an obvious choice for the select committee. But he could also be a valuable witness for Democrats trying to learn more about the former guy's actions. Everyone right here is in a very peculiar spot, especially if they know anything. (laughs) But the Republican strategy is taking shape. So the Republicans, they want to focus on the steps that Nancy Pelosi took. This is fucking insane to me. Or didn't take to secure the Capitol that day. They want to turn this around on her. According, that's according to GOP sources familiar with the earlier discussions. Now, if, if Dems call Republican members of Congress, obviously the GOP is most certainly going to demand testimony from Pelosi. So whether Democrats try to call Jordan remains to be seen. We'll find out because it may open up the door. Uh, The select panel, which only got off the ground this week, is still staffing up now while the House and the Senate are scheduled to be out of session during the week of July 4th. So this coming week, they won't even be there. But Republicans will almost certainly try to throw sand in the gears of the investigation. They're going to be pulling from a playbook that perfected, they perfected this during years of congressional probes into the former guy. Those include blowing off requests for testimony or documents with Republicans likely to dismiss such demands as politically motivated, something that would have been harder to do with an independent commission. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But it's it's gotten started. It's at least gotten started. Yeah, that's why they wouldn't vote for the independent bipartisan commission, because they wouldn't have the argument that uh, it was political. They would have still made it. They would have still made the argument. They're always going to make that argument. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the the obvious retort to that is we we tried you. You you actually wrote uh, we had a bill. You made all the changes. We allowed all the changes. You still refuse to vote for it. Here we are. So uh, but, yeah. you know, I imagine there's going to be subpoenas. There's going to be subpoenas ignored and fought in court. And we're going to end up in court. Um, the I, the main difference this time is we, we have the DOJ, uh, a reasonable Department of Justice this time that won't be helping <laughs> helping with those <laughs> uh, court battles. Uh, so, you know, that's, I think we're going to end up in court with a lot of these subpoenas. We aren't going to hear this testimony. And that, and that was the whole goal of the Republicans. Muck it up, slow it down, make changes, and then vote against it. That's what they, that's their, that's their jam. Uh, all right, everybody, we'll be right back with former lead Mueller prosecutor Andrew Weissman to discuss the Trump organization and Weisselberg charges. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill for The Beans, and I'm super excited because we have a new sponsor. I used to get really bad headaches and sore eyes from working on the computer all day in front of screens all day. That is why I am so happy I have found Blue Blocks. These are glasses. They have a variety of amazing glasses designed specifically to solve these problems. I got the blue light computer glasses for headaches, sore eyes, digital eye strain, and watery eyes and fatigue. I had all of those things. Um, They also have the Summer Glow Blue Light Glasses that have yellow lenses designed to help with migraine, stress, anxiety, and low mood. Uh, Or if you have trouble sleeping, you can try the Sleep Plus Blue Blocking Glasses. Their amber lenses help with poor sleep, fatigue, low energy, and jet lag. These are amazing, beautiful, beautiful designs. I got this blue sort of tortoise shell. Uh, You wear the blue light computer glasses and the summer glow glasses during the day when working on screens or under artificial light. And you wear the sleep plus blue and light glasses two to three hours before bed to help create more sleep hormones to aid with better sleep. I've tried other brands, but they do not compare. These are head and shoulders amazing. Their science-backed technology is tested to ensure they really work. Unlike other blue light glasses and companies, Blue Blocks glasses are made in optics laboratories in Australia. They are not mass-produced in factories. Their stylish frames have been featured in Vogue. Uh, and they may be a little more expensive than the other brands, but I guarantee you they are worth the extra investment. My eyes have never felt better. I didn't even know there was a problem until I started wearing these. How much strain I was putting on my eyes. And, you know, I've had LASIK, too, so I haven't, you know, I used to wear glasses and get that blue block in them. And then, you know, I haven't been wearing any glasses. And when I got these, it just made such a huge difference. I feel amazing. They come in non-prescription or prescription and reading options, too. With glasses for every need, blue light for helping with digital eye strain, summer glow for helping with low mood and migraines, and sleep plus for improving your sleep. Blue Blocks also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, uh, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, which are awesome, all backed by science. Blue Blocks ship worldwide in rapid time and always they have easy uh, returns and exchanges. So go to blueblocks.com slash dailybeans. Use our coupon code dailybeans, all one word, to save 15% off 
That's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash Daily Beans and use promo code Daily Beans to save 15%. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am joined today by former Mueller prosecutor and the author of the book, Where Law Ends, Inside the Mueller Investigation. Please welcome Andrew Weissman. Andrew, welcome back. Nice to be here. One of my... Uh, uh, happy fourth. Yeah, happy fourth to you. One of my uh, high-scoring Room Raider friends, Andrew Weissman. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have all the mid-century modern stuff, too. I think they're into it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there appears here to be emerging on social media two schools of thought in the wake of the indictment against the Trump organization and Alan Weisselberg. One school of thought is that this is all Vance has. Uh, and the other school of thought is that this is just the beginning. And you tweeted that you expect more charges and this indictment is a shot across the bow. Can you explain what you mean by shot across the bow? Because I don't understand how people can read these charges and determine that this is all the DA has. Sure. Um, so obviously, this is the prediction mode, and you know one side or the other is going to be wrong. But let me tell you why I'm right. <laughs> and um, you know, I mean, to me, let me just tell you why. When I read the charges, and I didn't go in with one view or the other beforehand. I, you know, I knew that we were likely getting defense spin beforehand, that these were just fringe benefit charges. So I went in, if anything, thinking, well, maybe this will be underwhelming. Um, and actually, I was um, very impressed. I was trying to tease out what was going on in my head because I just had a visceral reaction that this is what you do when you have a lot more. Um, and I broke it out in a, in a bunch of ways. First, there's some very concrete things. Um, you have that the district attorney's office at the arraignment actually asked for a protective order. Um, you know, the New York law has changed relatively recently where discovery has to be given out immediately uh, under New York law except if you can make a showing that there is an ongoing investigation or there'd be a harm to a witness, there are various categories. And here, the um, submission by the ADA was that there is an ongoing investigation and it was granted that there could be a, uh, a delay. That's normally not something you do if the, you know, the investigation's over or if it's really a make-weight, if it's not really true. This is not the kind of case where you would want to be going out on a limb if there wasn't something real going on. And um, the defense lawyers who obviously have been meeting with the government to try and forestall this happening didn't challenge that in any way. So uh, you have the sense that they must have had that conversation and are aware that there's 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 more to come. So that's a very concrete thing. Um, there's also on the on the concrete aspect, there is uh, Mary's that Mary, the lead lawyer for Weisselberg, her press statement was I read as, extremely careful to keep alive the ability for Alan Weisselberg to cooperate. In other words, her statements were not a full-on attack of the government, and this is a witch hunt, et cetera. This was just, you know, my client is innocent, and he intends to fight the charges and plead not guilty. I mean, that's sort of a pro forma statement, not in any way um, attacking the government. And you don't do that if you are thinking your client might ultimately cooperate, because that will be used against your client on the witness stand. So Again, her reaction to what's going on, um, if she thought this was it, um, she might have been much more willing to make a full-on statement. But getting to the heart of you know, reading the charges, they are just remarkably detailed. The scope, the duration, the clear insight that the DA's office has to the inner workings and documents uh, and witnesses in the Trump organization, I thought was pretty close to breathtaking um, that they had, for instance, essentially this second set of books. Um, and also they described too many people who would have been in on this who have not yet been charged. There's no way, in my view, in God's green earth, that there aren't other people who are in on this um, 
15-year broad conspiracy up to and including potentially the former president of the United States. I mean, to me, the idea that he didn't know this would, is kind of laughable given his sort of type A personality, and it's a very small corporation. So for all of those reasons, um, this re read to me like what you do when you are signaling to Alan Weisselberg that you mean business and he needs to get on board and you're signaling that to other people. Um, I analogize this in two, to two other circumstances. One, going back to the Enron prosecution, I was the, um, a member of that team. And you know this is what we did when we were trying to flip Andy Fasto. Um, and we brought our, our charges incrementally. And it would have been absurd for someone after we brought the first charges to say, well, that's all they have. Um, no, we, we had a lot more and we knew we were gonna be bringing more, but we also thought it was important to bring those charges and signal to people that we meant business and we knew what we were doing um, and we had the goods. Um, and the other is, um, to think about Don McGahn's testimony recently to the House, where he talked about the effect on him of knowing that the special counsel's office was bringing false statement charges and charging people when he said, you know, I was not going to be next. Um, there were reasons I didn't go along with things. And to me, that um, message um, was one that we intentionally wanted people to have and when we were bringing charges. And I think that's what the Manhattan District Attorney's Office uh, is intending as well uh, by bringing these charges. So for all of those reasons, um, that's, you know, those are the, how I got to sort of, you know, what I'm thinking uh, this all means. Time will tell whether I've just made a fool of myself um, in making this prediction, but that's that's what I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you, too. And and when I went in to read the indictment, I did it uh, like you, like this with sort of lackluster expectations, uh, but was quite overwhelmed. And I'm not a lawyer. So, uh, you know, I, but I did spend a lot of time reading a lot of, of things over the past four years when we look looking at the Mueller investigation. But this struck me as uh, as a, a fraud case. This is a fraud, grand larceny. I mean, the, the, the falsifying of business does is so much more than not reporting a Mercedes Benz, you know, uh, on the taxes. The fact that the word federal was used over the 30 times, I think, uh, is significant. And I wanted to ask you, you know, also when we, when we read on, I think on count 10 or count 12, that Weisselberg directed someone, imaginably, uh, imaginably McConney, to remove his name per Weisselberg from these payments. That seems like obstruction of justice. These seem like federal. There's a lot of federal crimes here. And I wonder if the feds are going to get involved. So I, um, I thought that was quite both creative and remarkable. Um, it will be an embarrassment if the federal government does not get involved. I mean, it really will show, you know, an abdication um, that that is pretty astounding, given that we're aware um, from the former president's own mouth that his taxes have been, quote, under audit now for many, many years. And the idea that that has not come to fruition and based on both this indictment and the New York Times reporting about his taxes suggests that, you know, if you're not going to enforce the tax laws at, you know, for somebody like this, you are sending a really bad message and you do have the the current president talking about the need for greater enforcement with respect to the tax laws on rich people. Well, you know, you've got Exhibit A staring right at you. Um, so to me, I was struck by the fact that the word federal appears, I believe, 30 times. I you know, <laughs> counted them all mm -hmm. um, because that was, I thought, um, sending quite another message um, to uh, the federal government. Um, but it's also quite interesting because to me, you know, that is part of the pressure on Weisselberg is not just Weisselberg's own personal benefit in terms of the way he cheated allegedly on his taxes, but also he was assisting the corporation and individuals in cheating on their taxes. His liability is not just for his own personal 
um, gain. You know, I, that was one of the arguments we, we made to Rick Gates, which was, you know, you have your own personal tax liability, but unfortunately for you, you also assisted Paul Manafort in his tax fraud. You're liable as an aider and better for that and a conspirator. So you have two types of um, tax liability going on. Um, and, you know, ultimately that proved successful in, in convincing him to cooperate, even though we were battling the, the um, prospect of a pardon, something that obviously the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, thank God, does not have to worry about. <laughs> yeah. And, and you had mentioned some of the allusions to Trump in in this indictment as well and other executives, many other, you know, other people not by name or anything. Uh, and, you, you know, specifically that the payments to uh, to Weisselberg's private school, the checks were signed by Trump. And then there was this execution of this lease on the part, which couldn't have taken place without Trump's signature. Uh, and I think that coupled with all the other reasons you think that these are, this is just the beginning, I think that that's uh, very important. But I understand also, and I know that, you know, you're very familiar with this, uh, and I learned a lot about it in the Mueller investigation with regards to intent, the burden of, of proving intent, um, you know, because, you know, as you say, if the feds ignore this, it'll be akin to the feds ignoring the volume two, the entire volume two of the Mueller report um, with these very clearly laid out, beautiful, you know, um, elements of obstruction of justice, one of which is intent. But a lot of people are questioning some of the public statements from the former president and his son, Don Jr., on talk shows and at his at, at Trump's rally, um, that it, it goes toward intent. But I, I want to have an I want to have this intent discussion with you because I know that you are an expert in this. But I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Awesome. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Allform. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me sing the praises of my amazing best of all the universe mattresses by Helix Sleep. Well, Helix has moved out of the bedroom into the living room. They still make mattresses, but now they have Allform. And they make premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. They make the most beautiful, high-quality furniture to fit your own personal style. Uh, their, their sofas and chairs are designed to your specifications, just like their mattresses at Helix, and they are delivered directly to you with fast free shipping. You get to customize your luxury furniture using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You get to pick your fabric with Allform, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, which is so great for the pod pets. So you pick the color of the fabric, the finish of the legs, the sofa size and configuration to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. I got a three-seater leather sofa, whiskey colored with a walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge. Matches my mid-mod vibe. Came in a couple of days. I put it together myself and I love it. It's roomy and modern and it's designed to my own personal specifications. The other great thing about Allform is how incredibly fast they deliver. Normally, if you want a new custom sofa, it can take months to arrive and you have to someone have someone come and assemble it in your home. It just takes forever and you have to like wait all day to wait for your little appointment window but all form has beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals that arrive in the mail in just three to seven days and you can assemble them without tools it's truly amazing you can always start small too and add more seats later if you move or your family grows and best of all you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it that's more than three months and if you don't love it but you will they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund so there's no risk here and they have a forever warranty literally forever so to find your perfect sofa check out allform.com dailybeans and they're offering 20 percent off all orders for listeners just by going to allform.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. I'm talking to the author of Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation, former federal prosecutor Andrew Weissman. And before the break, I mentioned intent. And I wanted to ask you about ignorance of the law being an excuse. I've seen this a lot. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. And I remember uh, Mueller concluded that Don Jr. was basically too dumb to crime. And uh, in the past few days, both Donald and Don Jr. have publicly downplayed the charges, saying everyone does it. But this, to me, wasn't a, an admission of guilt. It was more like they were setting up their defense. Uh, and we, we'd always assumed, and you and I talked about this before, that their defense was going to be ignorance. But can these statements or tweets, prior tweets, you know, where Don, Donald is like, I know the tax law better than anyone, any of that even admissible or usable in in going to prove intent? I don't. I I feel like it's not. They would need something else. Yeah. So um. So first of all, tax cases you do have it's a uh, a, a heightened intent requirement. Um. When I looked at the indictment and the the allegations there, 
I thought that there were many indications as to how the government was going to prove that. Plus, it's sort of common sense. I mean, the idea that you're working for one company, but they pay you from another company deliberately so that you can say that you're not an employee. I mean, you, you don't have to worry about intent. It reminds me very much of Manafort, where you have um, offshore accounts you tell your tax preparer that you don't have offshore accounts. By the way, a very similar thing that's alleged here in the, these charges about tax preparers not knowing things, that's obviously devastating um, in terms of proving intent. So I just think there's there are many, many similarities as to how the current charges, um, you can see where the prosecutors, of course, are worried about that and know that their burden is, is, um, is substantial. Um, with respect to the um, tweets that recently were the president saying sort of two things. One, the sort of who cares? Well, you know what, that's good luck trying that at a, on a jury, you know, in New York, where who cares about not paying taxes on millions of dollars? I mean, this is not a mild footfault. Um, but I don't think those charges, um, I don't think, sorry, those tweets really are good. I think they are potentially admissible. If, for instance, Donald Trump is charged their admissions, but I don't think they're admissions of intent. I think he basically was saying, I might be, a, I'm, I, it is true that I was aware of certain facts, but I didn't know the law. I didn't understand that that was reportable. That is a defense in tax charges. The sort of ignorance of the law is no defense. Well, no, in tax charges, you have to show that you specifically knew that it was required to report this and you didn't. So I think he was trying to set up the only possible defense that he has, which is not that he didn't know facts, you know, or these basic facts, but he didn't um, necessarily know that it, the tax laws reported this. And that's where somebody like Weisselberg cooperating potentially is, is very, very important because it cuts off former president saying, well, I was relying on Weisselberg who told me this was fine under the tax laws. It doesn't really help that Weisselberg has said, hey, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know anything about the law. And you, why would you rely on Weisselberg for what is and is not reportable? To me, it's going to be really interesting what other people have to say, including what the, the tax preparers say they were told and did not know. Not to relate everything to the last case you did, but in Manafort, um, and I actually described this in, in uh, my book, which is, when we finally saw what the um, tax preparers knew and interviewed them and saw what they knew and what they didn't know, I was like, and the case is over. Um, yeah. I, I remember telling Mueller at the time, I was like, you know what, if I don't have this case charged in, in a month, fire me. Um, I was just <laughs> like, this. I was just like, we're done because the, what he was doing was sort of blatant enough, but the fact that the tax preparers were asked and did not, and it was not told to them, I was like, well, now the intent is there. Um, this is, why would you have kept this from him other than to commit tax fraud? Yeah. And that's where I see the, the this huge parallel with Rick Gates, right? Everybody was so certain before it happened that without Rick Gates' testimony, the whole thing would fall apart. And as it turned out, he was a shit witness. Nobody believed him. And even the Trump supporting rural juror convicted solely on the documents that they had. And so uh, that you had, I should say that you had. Uh, but uh, it, it, it just sort of reminds me of, of that a little bit. And that you, that I don't think Vance would have gone to SCOTUS twice to get the Mazars documents just for his tax returns. There has to be so much that has to be just the trove of because same forensics team that you used, right? Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. So first of all, the, the FTI people include you know one of our forensic accountants who was spectacular. Um, to you can make these cases, you know, without somebody like a Rick Gates. In fact, when we charged Manafort, we charged Manafort and Gates, and we we were perfectly ready to proceed without him. Um, I also have this view sometimes, you know, when we called Rick Gates, um, and this is my experience, not just in the special counsel's office, but in general, um, sometimes it is nice to have somebody narrate the story from beginning to end and tell you the inside scoop. 
Um, and you know, as a prosecutor, that that person's going to be, take the brunt of the cross-examination and they're going to say, this is the star witness, when in fact, the, the paper trail and all sorts of other things are star witnesses, such as the tax preparer who says, I talked to Paul Manafort and he didn't tell me this. Um, you know, there, there are so many other pieces. Um, so jurors tend to say, oh, I didn't like Rick Gates or I didn't rely on him. But I think what they mean is, I didn't need him or I didn't need to rely on him because when you think about it, when they convicted, they actually were finding everything that Rick Gates had said, right? In other words, he said, this is how the tax scheme worked. They agreed with it. So he was by definition um, found to be credible with respect to those things. But I think the way jurors like to think about it is uh, they may not parse it exactly, but by saying that's not, I, I didn't need to solely rely on that because there was so much else. But in fact, it does help fill out the story. Yeah. And getting getting Weisselberg's testimony would be amazing, uh, uh, you know, to to have uh, for prosecutors. And I think that that's there. I mean, there obviously have been and are going to continue to try to, to get that. Um, before I let you go, uh, there's some concern recently. Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned because he had apparently been given immunity to testify in a civil case. And when you're given immunity to testify in a civil case, what you say in that civil case can't be turned around and, and uh, used against you in a criminal case. And I think a lot of people are concerned about that. Somehow, uh, Weisselberg's limited immunity that he was given in the Southern District of New York's uh, investigation into the hush money payments that put Cohen in prison uh, you know, by doing this scheme that was directed by individual one. Uh, I think people are worried that the same thing that happened with Cosby could happen with Weisselberg uh, if he does uh, decide to cooperate. Do you what are some of the risks uh, of Weisselberg's previous limited immunity granted by the federal by the feds? Great, great question. So first of all, my understanding is that um, if there's a problem, it could infect the state level. In other words, it's not the two sovereigns for this purpose, I think will work together. Um, in the same way, when I worked on the Louima case, we had the reverse problem of people who had been immunized at the state level and making sure we did not use that at the federal level. Um, and we couldn't use it directly or indirectly. Um, the protection's very, very broad. Um, so a couple of things. First, if there is a potential problem, it will only be with respect to Weisselberg. In other words, if if the government, for some reason, the Manhattan DA's office uses, has used some uh, direct or indirect Weisselberg testimony, that only affects prosecuting him. It would not, it would not affect anybody else. Um, so it cannot undermine um, the case against the Trump organization, um, I should say organizations, plural, since since two were charged, or anyone else down the road. Um, second, it really will depend on what Weisselberg said. You can have situations where even if he went in for a limited purpose, if he talked and was asked about things that were somehow broader or led to information um, where this could spill, there could be a taint. Um, but you'd also have to show that it somehow seeped its way into the Manhattan District Attorney's Office investigation. Um, that's sort of one potential. The other, though, is he may have said not much at all or lied through his teeth. I, you know, I'm generally of the view that's probably the case um, because I can't imagine he went in and said, by the way, it was part of a 15-year tax fraud. Um, I just don't think that is terribly likely. Um, and so it reminds me of a case, which I can talk about because it's public, when years ago, when I was a junior prosecutor, we put a mobster named Paul Graziano, who was sort of a number two to Patsy Conti, a captain of the Gambino family in the grand jury, and asked him, because we, we really, at that point, wanted to make a case on um, Patsy Conti for murder and, and really take down his crew. And Paul Graziano was immunized and forced to testify as a result because it takes away his Fifth Amendment. And he said nothing. He, he absolutely, you know, he lied through his teeth. And ultimately, we were actually able to make a case against Patsy Conti and Paul Graziano. And I remember we turned over the grand jury testimony to say, you want to show that we used your immunized testimony? Have at it. Good luck 
<laughs> showing when you were asked, are you a member of the Gambino family? And you said, no, how that somehow that answer um, in any way affected this prosecution. And of course, he wasn't able to do that. He didn't even make a motion um, uh, on that. So um, I suspect we're probably going to be you know, in that realm um, where that that information, um, uh, if it's in the possession of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, that immunized information would be given uh, to uh, to Alan Weisselberg, and he would be able to make that that kind of motion. Yeah, and this this can't be the only crimes that have been broken. <laughs> in in the Trump organization. I just can't see that or Trump organizations. I just can't see that happening. And I, I imagine that if Weisselberg doesn't cooperate, there'll be superseding indictments on him. Yeah, look, so I, I agree with that. And you know, and part of this, um, you know, going into this, I was thinking, yes, do I do I have suspicions as to what I was thinking going on? Well, that's not evidence. But then when you see the allegations of 15 years of fraud and with Alan Weisselberg being a, a significant part of that, it really did lead me to be like, oh, come on, this is the only thing they did? I mean, in other words, um, as a prosecutor, you think, well, there, there's a lot, it's worth digging into other things because you clearly aren't dealing with somebody who's upstanding, um, which prior to this indictment, I really did keep an open mind thinking, well, you know, he might have been saying, you know, there are lines I'm going to cross and there are lines I'm not going to cross. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to do this stuff. But, you know, if these allegations bear out, I have your view, which is, you know, this has got to be the tip of the iceberg, because this was so blatant for so long. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Everybody, please read Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation. It's a really great book. Uh, and there there are so many parallels and relatable things, especially with uh, Team Manafort and the Gates testimony that, that we can sort of uh, pick up and understand when we're when we're looking at these indictments, the ones that are out and perhaps future ones as well. So I really thank you for your time uh, and I hope you have a great rest of your Fourth of July. All right, everybody. Andrew Weisman. We'll talk soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison. And this portion of the beans is brought to you by Stamps.com. You're a mover. You're a shaker. Getting stuff done. Making moves. Technology. Via the future, right? You're not the type that likes to wait in lines and waste precious time and money. So why are you still going to the post office when you could be using Stamps.com? Mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com is easy. It's a breeze. They allow you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer, wherever you and your computer are. You can send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from the USPS and UPS. And Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. Seriously. Uh, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place, plus huge discounts, bulk discounts on mailing and shipping rates. I found their service entirely smooth, extremely efficient, um, very user friendly. It's a must have for any business, whether you're a small office just sending invoices out or you're like a massive warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly a million small businesses use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with the promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, uh, plus free postage, and they send you a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts are needed. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and then type Daily Beans, all one word. That's stamps.com, promo code Daily Beans. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. All right. If you have any good news or confessions, corrections, misheard song lyrics, shared swears, find the cat, happy places, what the mutt, Louis Gomer is dumb, town twisters, limericks, anything you want to send, anything we're playing. You want a new game? Start a new game. I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that uh, by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. So I'll go ahead and kick us off uh, from this. I've been gone for a week. I hope everybody enjoyed the interviews I put together. I, I love talking to all those folks, the really amazing people and their projects. Um, but, uh, you know, 
this this good news segment. I did think we did a couple of best ofs, and I really missed this part. So I'm so happy to be back here now. And I'm going to read this from Nathan, pronouns he and him. Hey, Beans Queens, I've been listening to you since the kitchen days and fully appreciate your ability of keeping me informed during the past several years of craziness. A previous submitter, uh, have you guessed on the pronunciation of the country? Oh, what is it? Grayshit? gray shit in michigan i can't remember how that's pronounced <laughs> we here in michigan fully embrace our nasal draw so i would not expect you to pick up on all the nuances immediately but we we do not or yeah we do not pronounce it as gray shit instead it's grash it grash it for michigan grash it grash it for michigan okay uh as a side bit of trivia michigan hosts grashit county grashit road fort grashit township none of which share any borders or overlap in any way <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun places around here that are pronounced nothing like they are red. Uh, also, soda around here is pronounced pop. Keep up the great work with creating such fun and lively, a fun and lively way to deliver the news. And AG, don't fret about your show on July 4th. You're going to rock that shit. Well, thank you. Damn right. Breaking all kinds of legs tonight. <laughs> all right, this next one, and I'll probably uh, read the next two. Anonymous, Louis Gomert. This is just it. Anonymous, he, him. Louis Gomert is dumb as my cats are cute. <laughs> wow, he is dumb because these are so cute-ass cats. Got all those pretty succulents, too. Oh, my God, I love that. That one on the top left, I had one. I had one of those plants when I was a kid, and I named it Bert and Ernie. I don't know why. Oh, my God, how cute. I love those. They always look fake to me, and they're not. Um, all right, this next one's also anonymous. Pronounce she and her. The most vaccine-hesitant person in my inner circle just booked her first shot. She's almost 70 and could have had her first shot in March or so. After months of conversations trying to convince her, many people saying they had the shot with minimum side effects and trying to figure out her real reason for hesitation, she finally let me book it for her today. Uh, all this is to say to my fellow listeners, don't give up. I know it's hard to see a loved one make a bad choice, but compassion and information can go a long way. Ah, here, here. That's wonderful. That's very good news. I love that. Next up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hi, Alison, Dana, and Amy. I hope that you had a nice week off from the podcast and a very happy and relaxing 4th of July weekend. I have some good news I would like to share. My Aunt Linda, the one I actually like, has <laughs> retired from working for the federal government. She started out working for the Department of the Army and then went to the Department of Agriculture and finally wound up finishing her career at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Woot woot. Hey, she's only 59, but she's turning 60 in December. I don't know what her next steps are going to be. I joked that timing her retirement to coincide with the 4th of July was a baller move. And my cousin and aunt both agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. I'm out of here. Bye. Bye. Wow. All right. This next one's from Angela, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and DG. During the pandemic, I have taken on four foster dogs, one an elderly quote forever that sadly only made it to about nine amazing spoiled months. The next foster is my submission for what the mutt. He was surrendered to one shelter in Garland, Texas, and they transferred him to Rowlett, Texas. Suzu Rescue, a Shih Tzu and Lasso Opso Rescue, mm -hmm. took him in. Yes, he was initially called Ewok. At the shelter, refused to answer it, <laughs> to um, answer it once at home. So we call him Otis. He is now Brutus and has nine-year-old mom after his adoption. We called him a what the mutt. I thought a Tibetan terrier poodle mix, but he actually has four breeds in him. It's amazing he's so happy in his new home. Uh, oh, goodness. my God. Okay, so poodle? Shih Tzu, I would still go with Shih Tzu face. Sorry, I didn't mean to say it like shih that. That's a shih tzu face. Shih tzu face. Schnauzer. Sna schnauzer. Yeah, yeah, it looks schnauzery to me. Schnauzer and. Uh, I'll go with this. So we got poodle. I agree with you there. Uh, Maltese? Yeah. All right, let's see what we let's got. See, we have let's another one. Okay, answers are. Husky. Oh. <laughs> Fuck off. This is, this is 40% Siberian husky no. and 20% Pomeranian. I feel like you stole these results. American Eskimo dog and Shih Tzu. All right, so we got the Shih Tzu what? part. But, dude, almost half husky? No. Pomeranian? Uh, That's really funny. Oh my God, this is All hilarious. Right. Where, do they, where does he get the poodle fur? I don't. Okay. I'll take your word for it, but I feel like the samples got mixed up in the lab, like SVU style here. Totally. Uh, next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her adorable dog, though. 
Uh, I just finished listening to the Kaludi Rudy episode and heard you say totes my goats. I know how much you enjoy the animal pictures. So here's another totes my goat. He was the horniest old goat you'd ever meet. He had a real thing for my father-in-law. Oh my God. <laughs> Unfortunately, we lost totes last January because he got out and gorged himself on corn and bloated. Oh my God. But he lived his best goat life the weekend before he passed. Our dough was in heat, so we went out doing what he loved most, fucking and eating. <laughs> this condition's hysterical. I have a plethora of animals, horses, goats, chickens, turkeys, cats, dogs, and chinchillas. I love chinchillas. I have a problem. But I'll only bombard you with pictures of the goats. All right, you have to send the chinchillas next time. Though. Please. Totes the majestic one with the beard. And then there's Vincent Van Goat. That's amazing. And Daph- <laughs> And Daphne, the Duchess of Goatington. And Gruff. Gruff is a fainting goat. Oh, my God. Oh. Are you familiar with fainting goats? Allison? Yes, I love the, fa- oh, I love the fainting They're goat. amazing. Thank you, ladies, for keeping me entertained every day at work. And on my commute, the Daily Beans is my go-to for political news. Look at totes. I mean, look how beautiful. Oh. These are all so cute. <laughs> I love goats. The fainting goat. I want video of the goat fainting if you can if you can handle it. Oh and and God. so video of the goat fainting and uh, photos of the chinchillas, please. Next time. Amazing. All right. This next one's from Jojo. Pronoun she and her. I already read ahead a little bit, and I love the way she wrote this. Hey, beans queens. I love your work and all the effort that the team puts forth. Dr. Gill, my lady Goldberg, my hero Carrero, and the whole beans, uh, the whole behind the mic team. Thank you all for the effort this podcast must be. My good news is not like earthing. It's not earth shattering for any for everyone. But as my struggle with depression and anxiety sucks. I want to cheer this a bit. As of Thursday, the 24th, I officially now have a have and live in my very own apartment. Yes, Jojo. I never thought I could live alone and I hate change, but I have had spent so many hours working on this. I was cooking breakfast for myself with groceries that I just bought myself with silverware. I got to pick out and buy. Honestly, I kind of, I kind of am tearing up a bit. I fucking did it. I still have a bunch of shit to do, but God damn it, I have my own home and I'm going to revel in it as you should. Uh, my pet tax is my only permanent companion, Mr. Snickers, enjoying his <laughs> new favorite crow as my apartment faces the green belt behind the complex. Keep up the good fight. And if I can get my own apartment, then fucking anything can happen for the good. And I must steal the line. Please take care of yourselves and your mental health. My beans, queens, you always tell us. So I want to make sure someone's telling you. Oh, thank you. And look at Mr. Snickers. <laughs> oh, Mr. Snickers is cute. Jojo, I am so damn happy for you. You know, it's funny because I think about the years that I've had my own place, but I have a tendency from the past of when I've lived with people, couple relationships, um, they they've always preferred their um taste in furniture and stuff better and i've just throughout the years probably need therapy for this but just sort of acquiesced i'm like yeah your stuff's better cool i'm not really that attached to my stuff whatever and i moved into the apartment i'm in now and i realized when i moved in i had a bed two side tables and a console table that was it and i look around my place sometimes and i love it i created a really warm loving space and i'm like i did this myself And Jojo, I hope every day when you wake up in your place, you look around and you're like, I fucking did this myself. And you just continue to revel in it. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 And and it reminds me of um, St. Elmo's Fire. Remember when she's like, I got my own apartment. I got up in the middle of the night, made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with peanut butter that I bought myself and jelly I bought myself. And it was the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich of my life. So... Yep. Yeah, I can. I feel it. It is when you learn stuff around you and you get to look around and go, I did this. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Absolutely. And congratulations. And everybody, thank you for your submissions. If you have anything you want to submit, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And I will be, uh, it'll be too late. I will be at the Laugh Factory in Long Beach last night, everyone. And <laughs> I hope- so I hope you enjoyed the show last night. And uh, if your time machine is plugged in and charged, enjoy the show. <laughs> Don't know if I'll be recording the set or if that's feasible. But if I do, I'll be sending it out. And if not, it was really fun. I'm sure in the future it will be. And yesterday it was. Okay. In it. 
And uh, I am actually, I've not missed a show. Uh, it's in the future. If you happen to be in the Palm Springs area or want to take a trip in Thursday night, uh, it's going to be at Hunter's. It's going to be a fantastic show. Myself, Ian Harvey, uh, Brad Lokley, who is one of the funniest motherfuckers on yes. the planet, and Shan Carr. And so this is my first live show. I'm a little bit nervous just to kick off the dust in the sense of being live because I've been in front of a computer for a year and a half. But it's time. And what better place than Palm Springs where like 98% of the people are vaccinated. Thank you. Mm. God, I love Palm Springs. Everybody until tomorrow. Thank you so much. And Dana, it's, it's so great to, to be back. It's so great to see your face. I, I everyone, you too. I miss we you. zoom so we can see each other's faces. I know you can't yeah. see that, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe one day we'll put on, we'll get dressed actually and, and brush our hair and maybe release that video to the public. But until that day, you know what? Don't push it. Lady. It's a mystery. <laughs> everybody uh until uh until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by allison gill with additional research and reporting by dana goldberg and amy carrero sound design and editing is by desiree mcfarlane with art and web design by joel reader with moxie design studios Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.